enthusiastically all the way home. It was the skinny boy's stillness, he decided later. Those lines of age in a face as young as mine. His look of winter on a lovely spring day. That was the Thursday. And on the Friday evening, when Melek and Layla came out of mosque together, there he was again, the same boy, the same kafir and outsized overcoat, huddled in the shadow of a grimy doorway. This time Melek noticed that there was a sideways list to his skinny body, as if he'd been knocked off true and remained at that angle until somebody told him he could straighten up. And the fiery stare, burning even more brightly than on the previous day, Melek met his gaze head-on, wished he hadn't, and looked away. And the second encounter was all the less probable because Leila and Melek scarcely ever went to mosque, not even a moderate Turkish-language one. Since 9-11, Hamburg's mosques had become dangerous places. Go to the wrong one or the right one and get the wrong imam, and you could find yourself and your family on a police watch list for the rest of your life. Nobody doubted that practically every prayer row contained an informant who was earning his way with the authorities. Nobody was likely to forget, be he Muslim, police spy, or both, that the city-state of Hamburg had been unwitting host to three of the 9-11 hijackers not to mention their fellow cell members and plotters, or that Mohammed Atta, who steered the first plane into the Twin Towers, had worshipped his wrathful god in a humble Hamburg mosque. It was also a fact that since her husband's death, Layla and her son had become less observant of their faith. Yes, of course, the old man had been a Muslim and a laic too, but he was a militant supporter of workers' rights, which was why he had been driven out of his homeland. The only reason they'd gone to mosque at all was that Layla, in her impulsive way, had felt a sudden need. She was happy. The weight of her grief was lifting. Yet the first anniversary of her husband's death was approaching. She needed to have a dialogue with him and share the good news. They had already missed the main Friday prayer and could just as well have prayed at home, but Layla's whim was law. Arguing correctly that personal invocations stand a better chance of being heard if they are offered in the evening, she had insisted on attending the last prayer hour of the day, which incidentally meant that the mosque was as good as empty. So, clearly, Malak's second encounter with the skinny boy, like the first, was mere chance. For what else could it be? Or so, in his plain way, the good-hearted Malak reasoned. The next day, being a Saturday, Melek took a bus across town to visit his affluent paternal uncle at the family candle factory. Relationships between his uncle and his father had at times been strained, but since his father's death he had learned to respect his uncle's friendship. Jumping aboard the bus, whom should he see but the skinny boy sitting below him in the glass shelter, watching him depart? And six hours later, when he returned to the same bus stop, the boy was still there, wrapped in his kafir and magician's overcoat, crouched in the same corner of the shelter, waiting. At the sight of him, Melek, who as a rule of life was pledged to love all mankind equally, was seized by an uncharitable aversion. He felt that the skinny boy was accusing him of something, and he resented it. Worse, there was an air of superiority about him, despite his miserable condition. What did he think he was achieving with that ridiculous black coat, anyway? That it made him invisible or something? Or was he trying to imply that he was so unfamiliar with our Western ways that he had no idea of the image he created? Either way, Melek determined to shake him off. 
So instead of going up to him and asking him whether he needed help or was ill, which in other circumstances he might have done, he struck up for home at full stride, confident that the skinny boy stood no chance of keeping up with him. The day was unseasonably hot for spring and the sun was beating off the crowded pavement, yet the skinny boy contrived by some kind of miracle to keep pace with Melek, limping and panting, wheezing and sweating, and now and then jumping in the air as if in pain, but still managing to draw up alongside him at pedestrian crossings. And when Melek let himself into the tiny brick house that, after decades of family scrimping, his mother now owned almost free of debt, he had only to wait a few breaths before the front doorbell chimed its carol on. And when he returned downstairs, there stood the skinny boy on the doorstep, with his saddlebag over his shoulder, and his eyes blazing from the effort of the walk and sweat pouring down his face like summer rain. And in his trembling hand he held a piece of brown cardboard on which was written in...